0: This, Kindra, is where they make their mark. This is the time where you've got to turn the table, you've got to take advantage and ride this wave in this momentum. A goal from your man! Catch them if you can! And everyone, welcome to a special MLS Anniversary podcast. Callum Williams with you here. Major League Soccer now 25 years old. And joining us today is a man who was there right at the very start of it. Minnesota United Technical Director Mark Watson joins us. Watto, how are you doing?
1: Cal, I'm, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I think, um, you know, obviously these are these are different times. So um, we're good. We're still working away. We're still planning and, um, you know, preparing for
0: for when this this all ends and we can get back to work. So we're doing well yeah this uh recording is happening during the covid-19 crisis of course and it's unprecedented times for just about everybody i think um how are you dealing with the whole situation at the moment you mentioned earlier on you've got kids at home uh, have you had a chance to sit on the the couch and watch anything on netflix
1: well a little bit of everything and i we're we're just chatting earlier about you know kind of how how this whole situation has kind of developed and you know initially it was kind of a novelty it wasn't you know it was new. It was, you know, you're assuming it's just a short term thing, you know, this is a week or two and, you know, then we get back to work, but obviously it's, it's, it's changed significantly. And, you know, I think now we're, I think we're we're roughly five weeks in, um, you start thinking longer term. So, um, you know, we haven't stopped working. That's the one thing we, you know, um, you know, not knowing what is happening and deadlines and, know, the soccer world has completely shut down. So it's hard to make specific plans, but, you know, we're kind of doing everything we can for contingency A, B, or C, you know, however it happens, you know, we, we, um, we still want to be ready. So I know from, um, you know, the team perspective, they're trying to keep the spirits high, the fitness levels high, you know, and, um, you know, keep everyone motivated that, you know, Once we get the call, we're back to work and everyone's in
0: good shape. So it's, it's been challenging. It's gone on longer than we thought, but it is what it is, and uh, you have to make the best of it. Indeed. And what this has done is it has given us the opportunity to perhaps take a look at the past. Um, so let's do that, shall we? As we mentioned earlier on, Major League Soccer turning 25 this season. Uh, you are a league original. How often do you think about that, and how proud of that particular accolade are you? No, I mean, it's
1: moments like this where you actually do look back. Um, I probably haven't done it a lot recently, but, you know, I think, um, you know, you look and this is, this is probably, you know, my biggest sense of pride is that this lot, this league is 25 years on and, you know, to compare what it was then to to what it is now, it's, it's incredible. It's come such a long way, you know, and um, I hope to have played a, a small part in that, but, you know, I think to, just to look at what, what we've built in general. Um, and there's a lot of people that were involved and, um, it's taken 25 years. So you, you look at the league in general and, and looking at, at, Minnesota United, what, what we've built here, you know, um, you know, it's 25 years for the league, it's, it's, we're going on four years in Minnesota. And, you know, I think what we've built in this market is incredible. And, you know, I think there's a lot of, a lot of things that went on in the past, a lot of successes, a lot of failures, a lot of things to, to learn from. You know, and we're we're fortunate enough to now have, you know, what I consider one of one of the premier clubs, one of the um, probably the best game day experience. You know, and a really special thing here. And you know, you can look back at all the things that contributed to it, but uh, I think we feel very fortunate to to have what we have.
0: Yeah, we'll get into to some of those destinations that have been added over the years a little later on. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to 1994 first, though, because the whole reason the World Cup. Um, came to to the United States back then was on the promise that a professional top flight league would be born. That was the case with Major League Soccer. You were playing in the UK at the time when that announcement was made. Was that then an aim of yours at some stage in your career to perhaps go and play back in North America? Hundred percent. I,
1: I think. I think for any player, even though you would have ambitions to play somewhere else, it's always it's always a nice thing to. To play in your hometown or your, you know, your home country, I think I think you always want that, or at least want to have that opportunity. You know, there, and and I'll look back to you know the old NASL days, and there was always comparisons to that as we were, you know, planning the next venture. But um, you know, I grew up in Vancouver. The Whitecaps were a hugely successful team. They were they were probably the biggest sports team in the city. My my dad had season tickets. I went to every game. The players looking back were incredible, like, you know, world and um, English superstars played on the team. Peter Beardsley, Bruce Grobelar. So we had this we had this um, incredible past to kind of compare to, you know. And I, I grew up wanting to wanting to play for the Vancouver Whitecaps in the in the NASL. And obviously that was gone. You know, so this this new league was the hope that, you know, you had the opportunity to play professional soccer in your own market. Um, and, and make a living at the game, so I think the one thing that that when when the league was announced, even before it started, everyone had this great hope that you know i can I can go home and be a professional soccer player, and that really wasn 't the case prior to that so
0: in in one thousand nine hundred and ninety five you 're with Watford in the championship in England before you you moved to Columbus crew and, and your first real endeavor into into major league soccer in, in its inaugural season. How did that move
1: come about, Watson? You know, well, I, I wanted I wanted to come back.
0: You know, it, um, um, I
1: had the opportunity to stay, but once I knew the league was was happening, I think um, it was something that I, I jumped at straight away. So there was, a, there was a little bit of a gap between the two leagues, but once I knew it was happening, I, w- I was on board. Um, the, the really interesting part is there, there were a couple players that were assigned to specific teams at the outset, but the rest were, were drafted, you know? So I was, I wasn't going to any specific team. I was signing with the league. Mm -hmm. And then there was a draft and and the the draft was for players of all ages. Frank Yallop, who was a good friend of mine, played 300 games at Ipswich. He was in a draft like I was, and you know, you you didn't know where you were going. So you were signing up for the league, um, but you didn't know where you were going. So, you know, it was all building up to this, this big draft. They had, I don't even know 14 or 15 rounds. Um, before your fate was decided and you know a North American sports person is used to the drafts but a lot of a lot of people that that weren't used to that system
0: you know couldn't really believe what was going on not knowing where their destination was. Yeah psychologically as an individual how did you and the players that were around you deal with that at the moment? I'm sure there must have been plenty of people saying not sure if I fancy going here or "Oh, I'd love to go there yeah, I, mean, I think there's a lot of, a lot of people, you know, a lot of foreign players
1: probably that didn't want to do that. I think there's just too much uncertainty, you know, um, and the players that wanted were from there that, and, and got to understand there were still some leagues going on, but they, they weren't leagues where you could really make a living. So there were players spread out everywhere. And this was, this was such a, a dream come true to, to have this league at, at a high level um, where you could actually make a living and, you know, players would basically do anything to come back. So I don't think there was a lot of opposition. I do think it it probably turned off a few foreign players, knowing that, you know, I don't know where I'm going, and they probably wanted to go to specific markets. So I think that turned a few away. But for anyone that was from North America, this was a this was a big opportunity, and I don't think I thought too long about it. Um,
0: once I knew it was going to happen, it was a pretty easy decision. You played your home games at Ohio Stadium. This is obviously before the stadium was a thing, and, and soccer-specific stadiums became a thing. Yeah, what was the atmosphere like on a match day? So I'll um, I'll paint the picture a little bit for the for the first match day. So the, the first thing
1: I'll say is Ohio Stadium, the horseshoe they call it, where Ohio State Buckeyes played. Um, it doesn't look like it does now. It had a track around it, and it was actually fifty-seven yards wide. So to compare that to you know what is pretty standard 75 yards wide we're talking 18 yards narrower and literally the the, the touchline was right against the track there was a running track around it so that was that was the first thing but our, our first game I'll probably exaggerate the numbers but it was probably 30 35,000 we played DC United incredible crowd we had the I can I don't know his name but the, the boxing guy let's get ready to rumble he drove out in his limo came out through the roof you know, we had the national anthem. We had the "Let's Get Ready to Rumble." We had a flyover. Uh, it was a pretty big deal. We had we had a, we had a good day that day. We uh, threw an emerging star named Brian McBride. I think he scored two goals that day. We beat DC United four nothing and and got off to a great start. But um, you know, general takeaways and impressions from that year it was it was crazy. The there was a lot of things that went on. Some stories, some things that you you'd look back now and think, "I can't believe that happened." Um, but there was, there was a real buzz, you know, the, the crowds were really good. I think it was kind of the first edition of the game since the NESL left where people could say, you know, this is, this is a real professional sport and, you know, we're really enjoying it. And, um, you know, the message then that really resonated and it still does to this day a little bit is the first time soccer fan that would come to the game, his first game ever and say, you know, I really enjoyed that. I, you know, I, I'd only been to football games, only been to baseball, basketball, but you know, I I really enjoyed that, and I'm coming back. And that was that was something that was the big takeaway from that year. That, but it it was a fun year. Um, you know, the crowds were pretty good
0: all all over the league, and um, you know, it was it was a pretty good start. There were some good crowds in the league, no doubt about it. Watson. and as you mentioned, the word buzz, there was a buzz about Major League Soccer in the stadiums, no doubts. What about outside, though, and in the general sports landscape in America and Canada? I think it I think it started to make a buzz. You know, and I
1: think I think it's it's grown every year to where, you know, the league is strong. It's here to stay and it's starting to make a real dent in the, in the sporting landscape. Um, it was always kind of there and Hey, it's better than I thought. And, you know, it was, it was handled professionally. Um, but I think the, you know, the the jury was still out initially. And I just think, you know, over 25 years and, you know, improving in every single facet of the game, you know, from, um, the quality on the field, the training facilities, the stadiums, the game day experience, just the general money in the game. Um, you know, the, the money to now, you know, pay players a better salary, but also bring a lot better quality and not just the DP stuff. It's the TAM, the TAM money has, has really elevated the game and the level of play. Um, you know, it's, it's come a long way. And I think, I think if we, if we look at, at Minnesota United, for example, I think, I think we have, an incredible thing going i think we're really relevant in this market everyone knows the team it's not just hey you have a team but they know you played the game i like this player you know they have an opinion on 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 what's going on um, so you look over the course of, of 25 years and there's just there's been small successes and increments but i think you know 25 years later i think we're we're in really good shape
0: nowadays as well also the there's a ton of chartered flights with the new uh, agreement with the league there's lots of first class flights and, and what have you and lovely hotels that we're very fortunate to stay in. What was it like in year one though in nineteen ninety-six? What was an away day like for a typical major league soccer player?
1: It certainly wasn't like that, Cal. Um, you know, there there was very little, I'll be honest. I, I think some of the stadiums were impressive, but they were big football stadiums. You know, you've a house stadium was it was probably 90,000. you know, so the stadiums were good. They weren't full, but um, we we had very little, and you know we didn't know any any better at that point. There was there was very little for the players in terms of of what they have now. There was no food. There was no you know facilities to to work out. You would go go get a gym membership somewhere to do your afternoon training sessions. Everyone would meet for lunch at you know some local place after training. Um, you know, so it was very different, and and we've we've come a long way in terms of that. I think I think the players have an incredible you know, uh infrastructure and um support system around them to to concentrate on the on the game and um take care of their bodies and you know we basically look at every facet of 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 performance and I think we're in good shape. And and that was that wasn't the case then. We had very little. You go to training, you go home and you're kinda on your own. I I think there were moments where we we washed our own training gear, which um seems unimaginable, but it was it's true. And you know, but like I said, we we didn't know any any better. We we enjoyed coming back. the The games were great, and um, you know, it's only looking back you can you can really see what the, the big difference
0: was. Knowing you like I do, I know that would have been no problem for you. You're very much an individual who gets stuck into things. Mm. Um, but it must have been a bit different for for several other big name players who, who came over to Major League Soccer. Several that were assigned to certain places, as you said, to all of a sudden be washing their own their own cleats and their own boots. You must have noticed from time to time that there must have been a couple of players around the league going, well, this isn't exactly what I signed up for. Yeah. No, there, there, was, a, there was a lot of that. Um,
1: you know, and even just the the game experience, you know, there's flyovers, there's there's things going on that around the world people just can't can't imagine. I mean, the players run out, they, they name the team and you play and here there's there's all sorts of stuff going on. And it, it was quite funny, the foreign guys just looking around thinking, this, this is an absolute circus. You know, the, the shootouts at the end of the game, they're like, what are you talking about? This is, this is not part of the game. So they were, they were found it quite funny. Cause I knew both, um, both ways, you know, I knew, I knew what was going on here in terms of trying to sell the game and, you know, enhancing the, the atmosphere in the stadiums, but I also knew the, you know, the, um, the game was kind of played and how it was managed and presented around the world. So it, it was quite funny. The flyovers during the Anthem and, you know, players kind of shuddering, like thinking, what is there? Are we under attack? Or what? You know, what is this? A plane flying over the stadium?" Um, but that, that was that was part of part of that year, and you know, just part of trying to sell the game. I, the the best memory I have of you know just just the craziness, and you couldn't help but just giggle. Was there was a player called Jorge Campos, a Mexican goalkeeper, five foot nine wore really bright-colored uniform. He was he was a big superstar, so he played for the Galaxy. Quite often, I think it depended on how the game was going, there would be a moment in the second half, probably the 60th minute, and the, the, the Lone Ranger music would start. And Jorge starts running out of his goal, taking his clothes off, and all his bright, colorful goalkeeper clothing comes off, and he's got player strip underneath. And he basically runs from the goal up front and plays the last 20 minutes as a striker. Someone comes and gets his stuff and his gloves and, and off we go. But everything's done to the Lone Ranger music. That's the one that really resonates with me. And everyone's looking around going, you know, what what's going on here? But uh, the, the fans loved it. The place is going crazy. And, you know, back then it was, it was just part of trying to grow the game. I, I don't think that would happen anymore. I don't even know if that's legal. It could be legal. It was, that was just part of the league. There was, you know, you play games every two days, you fly, there's, there, there was there were so many things that we wouldn't do anymore, but it was just all part of you know the first edition of the of a league and and trying to trying to make it all work. Yeah, talk to me more a little bit about the hockey style penalty shootout. Uh, yeah, it it was bizarre. I can honestly say I was involved in very few of those. They'd always pick the the five best technical players, and unfortunately, I wasn't. I wasn't one of them. I was very much a defender, but it was yeah, it was. Um, 35 yards out, you could start anywhere on that line. You had five seconds, I think five seconds for the ball to to cross the, the goal line. Um, and the players were like, so the the local guys were used to it. That was part of the old NASL. So I grew up with it. You know, it was somewhat normal, but the foreign guys, they they didn't know what to do. Like I'm on the line and what, what do I have to do? I got to dribble in and score. Like it was just so foreign to everything they'd, they'd ever dribbled but the fans loved it. They thought it was the best thing in the world and it was actually really difficult. It was, it was a lot more difficult than you think. So you had five seconds, you had 35 yards, you know, some players precky being one who was incredible. He used to just scoop the ball up because a lot of times the keepers would come out and try and shut down the angle. And if, even if you were to chip the, 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 the time the ball was in the air may not have been within the five seconds. So he would he would do a big scoop, the keeper would run out, and he'd play his second touch over him into the goal. So there was there was a lot of different variations. A lot would just go in one v one. Some would come at an angle. Um, it was bizarre, but it what the, the fans loved it. It was it was their favorite part of the game. So um, just just one of the things that
0: uh, that you had to get used to. You mentioned him earlier on. You were playing with the likes of Brian McBride and a couple of other names that stood out to me on that inaugural crew roster was Brad Friedel um, Janusz Mihalik, Robert Vaziha yeah. and, and Dante Washington. Sure. With, with that group whatsoever, did you know, did you at least have an inkling that these guys would go on to have the careers that they did?
1: Um, you know, I, I think, I think I did. And the, and the one that'll stick out for me is Brian McBride. Um, he came back from Germany and, you know, the name was familiar, but you know, it was pretty clear within a couple of weeks, this, this guy was going to be incredible. And he started off the first game with a bang and scored a bunch of goals. The fourth goal, I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it was literally a punt from the goalkeeper, Boa Shawnee. You know, probably went 10, 15 yards into the other half. Brian was great in the air, six-one, really athletic. He jumped up and flicked the ball on. The ball was still in the air. He ran around the other side of the defender and, and volleyed it in the goal. So the ball never touched the ground and it was a flick on. He went, got it. And then, and then volleyed into the goal. And I remember that moment thing. And I, I think this guy's got a, got a future in the game. So, um, you know, it was, it was such a new young league, but I think, I think there was a belief that, you know, there was a lot of talent and, you know, looking back, there was, there was a lot of players that they used that as a a as springboard to a, a really good career in Europe. And this is maybe my greatest contribution to the league. So, um, the players association wasn't formed at that, that point in time, but I basically played the first 13 games of the, uh, of the season. I, I had a ligament tear in my knee. So one day I was basically told that I was going in for surgery the next day. And I was also being released. So, um, wasn't, wasn't the norm, but, um, you know, the, the, the way the league was with the limited rosters they could they could release injured players so i played then then was released um you know i think i had a huge impact in terms of the players association being what it is today because uh i actually spoke to a guy named John Kerr who was the head of the nFL players association a soccer guy used to play in the n a s l uh his son john Kerr jr is uh the head coach at duke university so i spoke to uh i spoke to john and um We felt that wasn't, wasn't the correct thing. So in the end, um, I was, I was kept on as a player. I rehabbed my knee for five months and then I joined the New England revolution. So it was one of the, the, um, things with MLS that, you know, wasn't very well thought out from, from the outset. Um, you know, I think when a player gets injured, he probably shouldn't be able to be released, and that's certainly not the case anymore. So um, that's how that happened, and I I think that's probably my greatest contribution. I now I was the uh, the pioneer for for players' rights
0: and not being able to <laughs> to release injured players. That, that is um that is a crazy story, and yeah, like you said, certainly wouldn't happen nowadays. Uh, not not a not a bad roster at all at the revolution I, I know the season didn't go according to plan in the end but Joel Max Moore Alexi Lason and, and the Brazilian forward welton as well there was a decent roster there were you excited when you you were picked up by the reps
1: you know I was excited um, they had they had a great group uh, I knew a bunch of the guys the head coach was Frank Stapleton who was a you know a, a legendary player great guy uh, I, re- I really enjoyed his management style you know and to work work with someone who had, had played at that level. You know, I, it was a really good opportunity. They, they also had good crowds, played out of the old Foxboro, which, you know, was a smaller bowl, you know, not far from where Gillette stadium is now out at Foxboro. And it, it was another good group. They, uh, they had a good following. They had a really good buzz um, going
0: on and, and a really talented group of players. You mentioned Frank Stapleton was the coach. Um, I couldn't quite believe um, Frank Stapleton had a spell here in Major League Soccer. What was he like to work under?
1: He was great. Um, you know, I I played in England, so I kind of I kind of knew that management style. And he was he was good. Um, you know, very very competitive. He still trained a little bit and was still very good. Um, you know, he demanded quality and intensity and you know a full a full work rate in training. He wasn't one that. You know, you could come in and, and go 80% in training. So training was sharp. You know, he demanded the the important things in the game. Team was organized, made sure everyone was uh, was committed and putting in a full shift in. And, um, you know, had a, had, a, had a good way with the group. He'd played for a long time at the highest level. So he,
0: he knew knew what was necessary to give a group. During that spur of the revolution, you scored your first goal in Major League Soccer as well. Tell us all yeah. about that.
1: Yeah. Um, I'll probably, you know, add a little bit to make it sound a bit better, but there was some wonderful uh, interchange of passing. And so I was playing in midfield then I was, I was a center back. Um, we had two really good center backs. Alexi Lawless was one of them. So um, I was put in as a, as a defensive midfielder, just told to just, just stay there, protect the back four, basically be a center back in, in front of the back four. That was, that was my job. Um, but there was a, a moment where, you know, you have the ball and there's, there's a bunch of empty space in front of you. so. Started running, a couple little passes, uh, played the ball wide, and there was there was some more space in front. So I kept going. I think everyone was screaming to not go, to stop, and and run back. But I kept going. It was a cross and and a diving header. My so my first MLS goal. And I once I got into the box, I, I had I don't think I'd ever been there before, other on, other than on uh, on attacking corners. Um, but it was a good a good uh, quality cross, a little diving header, it snuck in the just inside the
0: post. So it was a good moment. Wonderful. What's uh what were the facilities like, not only at the revs, but also Columbus crew as well. The stadiums were first class, I'm sure, but but training facility and, and on a day-to-day basis.
1: Yeah, um, so they they I mean, I'll be honest, they were nothing to what they they are nowadays. I think I think the you know the overall standard for MLS right now is excellent. Even what we have up in Blaine, we've we've taken it to a really, really high level. And you see some of the new buildings that are going in, it's it's pretty, pretty special. But you know, back then, I'm thinking back to Columbus, we we used Ohio stadium as our, our, our change room. So for games and for training, and we went to the local Ohio state fields, you know, they weren't great. Um, Ohio state has a men's soccer team. So I think we mostly used their, uh, their varsity pitches. And then there were a couple other auxiliary pitches we, we used. So it wasn't great. You know, it wasn't, wasn't dedicated to us. You know, if I look back to new England, I think we used to train out at Brandeis university, which is a private college out on the, the outer like ring road of, of Boston. So a uh, small little locker room, you had one of the like American college w- wash bags. So all your laundry goes into a bag and you throw your bag into the laundry with your number on it. So you get that back in in the morning. And, you know, it was a, it was a little auxiliary training field that um, I, I think that year we changed a couple of times. We changed um, you know, maybe only had a three-month contract with, with that university when the when the varsity team wasn't playing. So I think we switched a couple of times that year to, to go to different places. So um, it's one of those things that you didn't have a lot, but you just got on with it. And, um, you know, you
0: didn't have the the foresight of what we have now to kind of
1: look back and compare it to.
0: Not to throw anybody under the bus, what given the, the coaching mentality that you've had um, since you finished playing, you mentioned Frank sir. What what was the the level of coaching like? You know, now now given the experience that you've got when you look back at it, what was the level of coaching like? I mean,
1: I, I think just the game in general and and the coaching has come such a long way. It was it was very much you know, if you look at the English the English game back then, it was most teams were four four two. Sometimes there was certain positions where you know a player would come inside and. You know, a little something different, but most teams were four four two and played a played a certain way. So you had to be really really good at your job. Um, I think the MLS was a little bit different because there were coaches from from different cultures, and that was the, the introduction to, you know, some different systems. Teams playing a little bit more possession, taking some risk, playing out of the back. Um, you know, it, it was it was a real mixed bag, and I think it still is. I think there's a lot of a lot of variety in the league. I think, um, you know there's, there's been a ton of progression and, you know, a new coach will come in and play a certain way. The Barcelona style, you know, came in, um, you know, middle two thousands and a lot of teams changed. So there's, there's been a lot of uh, a lot of variations and a lot of growth tactically in the league. I think now the league is in a really, a really good position tactically. I think most teams have have a real identity and it's, it's one of the great challenges, you know, we have, um, you know, playing games is, is looking at the opponent, looking at their tactics, and you know how you approach the game. Do you um, do you say, hey, we need to do A, B, and C because of what they do, or do you do you just say, you know, we really like the the formation and the matchup of us, and we're going to completely focus on us, and we think us being really good at what we do is going to be better than them. You know, so every every game is different. There's a lot of different climatic conditions. There's altitude. There's heat. Um, you know, so I think I think back then most teams played a similar style and there were some, some mild variations, but I think now, I think it's an open book. You've got, you've got a lot of counter pressing. You've got, you got styles and and influences from tons of different coaches from different cultures. So I think that's been one of the beauties of, of MLS is that, um, there's been a, a massive progression in so many ways, but the, the coaching, um, the philosophies, the, the tactics have, have really grown. And there's, there's still a ton of variety, uh, when you look across the league.
0: OK, what we'll do is we'll take a short little break here on what is uh, a very intriguing and special year for Major League Soccer and it's 25th year, an anniversary year that everybody associated with the league is so proud of. Uh, next up, we'll talk about Watto um, moving elsewhere and coming back to Major League Soccer and also find out who was the best player he played against in 1996. While team sports may be sidelined right now, team spirit is going strong. Alina Health and Minnesota United have teamed up to support the frontline caregivers at Alina Health. Learn how you can help by visiting alinahealth.org forward slash caring for caregivers. And a very warm welcome back to this MLS special anniversary podcast in the 25th year of Major League Soccer. Callum Williams here alongside former Columbus, DC, and New England defender Mark Watson discussing all things in the early days. Of Major League Soccer, so Watto, let's start this new segment with a bang, shall we? Take me back to 1996 again. Who was the best player that you came up against in that particular season? Oh, that's a, that's a tough question. Um, there, there was actually a lot of really good, and I was I was a center
1: back, so central defender. Um, so my, you know, my main opposition were were the strikers and a lot of a lot of big names. So um, Hugo Sanchez was one at Dallas. Uh, There was a big striker at LA Galaxy, Eduardo Hattardo. Um, Roy Lassiter was very good. He had, he was fueled by the quality of passing from Carlos Valderrama. I think, I think he was the top scorer that year. He scored incredible amount of goals, but it was, it was more so a one, two combination from uh, the service of, of Carlos Valderrama. Eric Ronaldo was excellent. Um, I think he's someone that, Never got the, I, I know he's thought of as a top player, but he he was exceptional. He was had good size, really good feet, good pace, good goal score. He kind of had, he had everything. The, but the one player I will say, and I, I think he was a late addition that year, uh, was Jaime Moreno. Um, for me, he was the best. And he, he he played a long time, scored a lot of goals. He he was excellent. And I think he was a little bit more than anything. And I think he was just a little bit different than most players. He he had an incredible way of moving you around, coming short. I was, I was a top quality player. Um, I, I later got to play with him and got got to know him. He's, he's a great guy. But
0: you know, I think for ten years he was he was probably
1: the best striker in the
0: league. What what was it? I know you mentioned then about him playing off the shoulder and and being a general nuisance, Jaime Moreno. How do you how do you prepare for someone like that at that stage of the league as well?
1: You know, I I think with with great difficulty. I think that was one of the one of the, I mean, it was one of the challenges, but also one of the great things um, that the league had. And I mentioned in terms of the tactical side, but just players from different countries. And, and, you know, we'd probably been used to two strikers, four, four, two, one striker going short, the other one trying to play in behind. And this was totally different. This was, you know, and it was, it was learn on the fly kind of thing. Um, um, You know, you, you hope to handle a player like that with, you know, a good back four, a good level of organization, but it was really difficult. And, you know, I think his movement was, it was a foreshadowing of, you know, like a, a Chris Wondolowski type player. And is, is there, you know, one way to stop it? There there really isn't. It's a combination of, you know, being organized as a group and communicating and, you know, handling your little individual battles. So Jaime was one of the ones uh, in terms of my first exposure to someone like that. And, it was really difficult. He'd start off side a lot. He'd, he'd take a step back to get online with the offside and then get played in. Um, so very smart, you know, just had a different way of playing that, um, you know, I wasn't the only one that struggled with it. He's He was someone that caused defenders a lot of a lot of problems for a long time.
0: But, but also as well, also during the week and trying to prepare for someone like that, because th- there was no, no Y-Scout, there's no video that you can look at in those days, right? There was no video at all. So you, you would get a,
1: um, you know, a little run through by the, by the coaching staff, um, you know, and and we would prepare for it. Like, like we would do, you know, nowadays, if you have, if you have a player like that, and I'll use Wando again as, as someone who, you know, teams will prepare for it's, it's relentless movement. So you, you try to replicate that in training. You, you try to have someone that, you know, plays like that and, and gives the group as, as many repetitions as possible. And, you know, put them in as many, you know, game like scenarios as possible. If he does this, we need to do this and then you let it run. And, um, you know, you, you just want your team or your group to come into the game, not, not um, having anything unexpected. So you want them to know the challenge and the challenge is still really difficult. And it's not like, Hey, if you do this, you, it'll, it'll be an easy day. It's, it's 90 minutes of concentration. And, you know, and keeping the whole group switched on, you know, when you have someone that moves and runs and gets off shoulders and can continually changes his the position um, there's no easy fix, but it's, you know, like I said, it's, it's a good level of communication. It's an organized back forward and it's being prepared with a bunch of repetition and training, you know, prior to the game.
0: So after your spell with the revolution, you went back to Sweden and then England before returning to Major League Soccer with DC United. This was 2001, I believe. Did you, yep. did you notice a change in the league after several years away? Uh,
1: I did. Professionalism, you know, the travel was better. Uh, they started introducing um, post-training meals, you know, where you have someone put on, you know, um, some food that was, you know, good for people. Um, the nutritional side of of post competition or post training. So there was just little things that came in over time, and I was I was gone long enough where I, I did notice a difference coming back
0: in in two thousand one to DC. How much did you want a Canadian franchise at, at that point? And, and, and was there? I mean, I think it's inevitable, really, wasn't it? There was always going to be a Canadian franchise at some stage. Yeah, I think so. I think you look at most of
1: the leagues. There's there's more of a North American component, aside from aside from the NFL, but. Um, yeah, it was, it was big. Um, you know, I, I think as much as having a, a team in the league, I think it was a pathway for development. And I think that's, that's one of the, the big, um, you know, spin-offs spinoffs ha- of having the league is, is now the clubs are trying to develop their own players. So you look at the academy systems and, you know, this, that's going way back and, um, you know, it's still, it's still, um, you know, a challenge for some clubs and a lot of clubs aren't there yet relative to their market, but you look at some clubs and um, the number of homegrown players in the first team and the number of young players they've developed and sold on, um, it gives you a lot of hope. So I think at that point, it was as much of, you know, be great to have a team in the league, but it was also, um, I think it would be a great springboard to to kick the game off and, and help with youth development and developing
0: better high-level players. I think the, the one franchise which you'll be familiar with that, at least I've been told really elevated the fan bases all those years ago was was Toronto FC back in 2007 a lot of people thought that the whole landscape of what it meant to be a supporter changed in Major League Soccer how important was that in terms of the growth of the league
1: yeah sure no I I think I think Toronto changed um, the course of, of the league in a lot of ways and it was it was a, a soccer specific stadium. It was tight to the field. And I think, you know, what they, and even though they didn't have a lot of success um, their, their game day experience and their, and their supporters, it basically, you know, guided the rest of the, the league and especially the, the future expansion franchises in terms of, you know, we need to have this cause we've, we've just seen this new market come in and, you know, we need to do the same thing because it's working there. Um, it's sold out, it's loud, it's it's incredible and and, and people want to see that they want to see sold out. they want to see a really engaged supporter section um I, th- I think it's it's so unique to the game and and people that i I bring to the game that have never been to a game before, they're like, and they 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 hear the Wonder wall for for 90 plus minutes. they're like, that is incredible. I've never ever heard anything like that. They sing the whole game, you know, so so many sports here they they applaud the play and then it's quiet for 30 seconds you know and this is non-stop it just drives the energy of the stadium and I think you know it's something that you see around the world but Toronto was maybe the first one to have it in their stadium and I, I think it was really um, integral in you know all the success that's come about I think Seattle followed suit I think the next year maybe even though they played in a bigger stadium that that was prevalent there um, and then it's just continued on and, and now I think it's something that every new franchise is very adamant about um, adding to their club as they, as they come into the league.
0: And then for you as well, um, personally, Wotso, all um, the 70 caps nearly 80 for the Canadian national team. Um, how, how have you seen the progression of, of Canadian soccer over the, the last 10 to 15 years?
1: Um, I, I think it's in a good, a good spot. You know, it's, it's always been a challenge. There's, um, you know, there's climate. There's always there's always been things that have that have been, you know, going against it. But I think, you know, I think having the MLS, there's been a big springboard. Um, you know, the player development has improved a lot, and you look at just some of the players coming through now. I, you know, I, you look at Alphonse Davies, you look at Jonathan David. There's 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 a lot of hope on the horizon, and you know, it's it's far from being complete. But I think when you're, you know, and, and there was over the years there's been, Hey, we, we need to, to blow this up. We need to work on, on youth development. If we, if we can't get that right, we have no chance. And there's been a a bunch of additions of attempts to, to try and do that, you know, but I think now, you know, piggybacking off, off MLS and having these, these, these clubs in big markets and just having the exposure, you know, there's, there's enough interest. And now I think you're, you're seeing the fruits of, of, of their labors. And there's some, there's some really good young players coming through. Lucas Cavallini at Vancouver, Kyle Lahren. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of talented players now, and I, I hope it continues.
0: Let me ask you this, What so in terms of all the expansion in Major League Soccer over the, the course of particularly the last four or five years, was was there a, a market that the league went to? And you kind of thought to yourself, I'm not entirely sure about this, but actually it, it excelled more than people expected it to.
1: I think there's been a few, and i i think I think because there's there was these markets that you you would think, oh i I don't feel good about that. I don't think they're gonna succeed. and they have. I think it gives gives you hope for for most most markets. Um, but the one that stands out is atlanta it's it's always been a funny sports town. It's always the one you speak to people in the league they you know they just thought well it's it's obviously a a big market and there's there's big major league sports teams, but soccer and you know. I think I think everyone has said, you know, it's that's not going to be a good market. It's the South. It's there's so many things going against it. They they have a history of, you know, even NBA teams not doing well or NHL teams not doing well. Just just franchises failing. And obviously, from what we've seen in three and a half years, it's been an incredible success. You know, so I I think I think that's the one where you um, you maybe think, you know, any, any market really has a chance as long as it's. As long as it's run properly, and you know it's um, it's been treated as a as a top professional sports franchise, which which they have there. I know, I know their organization um, uh, owns the the Falcons as well. So I think it was I think it was handled very much, um, you know, as an NFL team would be, and I think it gave them a really good start. And and now you look at, you know, the the crowds and how how relevant they are in the market, and it's it's pretty incredible.
0: You've been involved in this league for a long, long time, Watson. How far has this league come? Can you put into words what you, you think about when you think of the involvement of this league? Because uh, I can't imagine anybody thought it would get to where it has as quickly as it has.
1: I mean, it's it's been it's been
0: amazing, and
1: you know, we now have twenty five years to kind of analyze. Um, there were some really hard times as well. There were moments. Um, you know, late nineties, early two thousands, where the league maybe wasn't going to make it, or it was, it was really, it was really um, in a, in a bad situation. I know there was a lot of people, you know, the crafts and the Anschutz and and those people, those were, they they kept this league alive and um, so much credit has to go to them for, for believing in, in the sport and the league to, to keep it going and knowing that, You know, there was something about it that was that was worth spending all that money to keep it afloat. And, you know, maybe it was just a belief in um, the sport and how many kids played the sport. Uh, There's also looking at, you know, the game globally. It's the it's the biggest sport in the world and passion beyond belief, you know, everywhere around the world. And there was there was always a a feeling that that had to resonate and translate you know, to, to North America at some point. So, um, you know, it's incredible to look back 25 years. The, the the biggest thing for me is I'm really excited about the next 25 years, because I think we're in a position to, to really make great strides. You know, I think there's still some big hurdles for the league to, to get, to get over, but, you know, I, I'll always go back to going to a game at, at Allianz, Minnesota United. It's an incredible experience and one that, I never would have dreamt 25 years ago could happen, and there's a lot of markets that are like that. So, um, you know, I think it gives us a lot of hope, and I'm I'm really excited about the next 25 years in terms of us growing, us becoming more relevant in in you know the sports markets around the country. Um, you know, I'm excited about the young players we're developing, um, the training grounds. I think I think every single component, you know, is 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 heading in a, in a really good direction, and you know, this league very quickly is, is a league of choice. You know, I, I don't think financially we can compete with the top couple leagues in the world, but I think with everyone else, we're right there. You know, the, the salaries are competitive. I think the league is um, really professionally run. I think, I think more so than people think I've traveled extensively and, you know, I go to Argentina and you think it's going to be this incredible um this incredible sports environment and it is for supporters. It is for players, but facility wise, we are miles ahead, you know, and there's so many areas where, where we are miles ahead. So the level of play is going to continue to go up. I think there's going to be more money in the game. I think as our TV contract grows, you know, that money and that, that exposure will be there. I think we'll continue to see big names. I think we'll, we'll, we'll see big names at much earlier times in their careers. I think we'll continue to see a lot of really good young up and coming players. Um, you know, with the last CBA, they've, they put in the, the young DP and the youth initiatives. So I think, I think we'll see, um, see that come into it more and more, you know, you get, you get a, an aspiring young player at 21, 22 years old, even younger. And they, they basically develop in, in the league and, you know, possibly stay or possibly, possibly go to Europe. I think you'll see a lot more of that, but I think just continued growth where, um, you know, the clubs are, are getting bigger they're they're having more relevance in their markets you know and and soccer is just getting on the map more and more day by day and i think in 25 years i think without a shadow of a doubt it's going to be a major sport in this country um i think the tv the tv will be a big deal um you know and i think i think it's really exciting times um the other thing i i hope to see as well and i think most markets um are are striving for this is to see some some local players i know you know, New Yorks and Dallas's are already there in in a lot of ways, but I think I think every market wants that. I know we do here in Minnesota. Um, you know, I think everyone wants to have that. Different markets give you different kind of ceilings, but I think that's going to be something that's really important. Every club having a couple local players in in the team. I think big picture is there's there's a lot
0: of a lot of belief in the future, and I'm really excited about. Um, you know what we have ahead of us. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Before I let you go, if you wouldn't mind, um, a message to the fans.
1: No, the only thing I'll say is just is just be patient. We're you know we're all in the same position. We we want this to happen. We want this to start up, but not at the um, at the sake of of anyone's health and safety. So um, you know we're still doing our work. The players are staying fit, ready to go, and um, you know we're just excited as you are to get back and uh, and play our first game back at Allianz. So. We will hopefully see you very soon.